Everybody say Romans 8 is great. So don't hesitate and don't be late. You bailed out on me, man. This was going to be a good confession. Romans 8 is great. And uh, it has bookends. It starts out with no condemnation. And it ends up with no separation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's, it's so chock full of vital truths. There is so much in this chapter that uh, I want to just put you in touch with it. And in case and when you have a moment where you're kind of, man, what should I read in my Bible? Can I tell you to read Romans 8? Meditate on it. Like, if you're in a hurry, just read through it like you would read any document and push yourself to read the whole thing. Admittedly, you might not comprehend everything, but at least you'll have that, that, that sense that you, you accomplished something and you read a chapter in the Bible. That's a worthy thing. That's a worthy thing. That's a helpful thing as, you're, as we discipline ourselves and, and endeavor to get word intake into our lives. But then also... Sometimes just park on the page and just ponder certain things. And sometimes just be willing to just stay and read and reread an idea, especially one that you think you really have a handle on, or maybe one of your favorite verses in Romans 8. Go back to some of your favorite verses and reread those favorite verses. And I'm telling you, the Lord will help you and He'll even help you glean even more. He'll help you to get even more. Can I hear an amen? So what I've done is I've been on a series about the person of the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, have teamed up in life. God is our, our Father, and Psalm 46.1 says that, the, that God is a very present help, and he's our refuge and strength, and he's a very present help in trouble. So God the Heavenly Father is our helper. He proved that by sending Jesus, and Jesus is our helper. There's scriptures all over about Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's help, and uh, he is our help. Today, Megan took our granddaughter, Lyric, to the pediatrician, and it's a one-and-a-half-year checkup, and the doctor said, how many words has she been speaking? And she said about 30, 33 words. She said, well, that's above the curve, which, of course, made me feel awesome. But one of the words I heard her say recently quite a bit was help. And um, she'll look at you and she'll say help in such a way that you just basically want to do whatever she's asking. It's just kind of an amazing thing. And it's not a wimpy, needy thing. It's just, uh, it's pretty cool. And uh, her dad, Taylor, said, man, she says that, man, it melts my heart. And can I just tell you, God loves you more than even an earthly parent or grandparent. You know, in fact, I know this from the Bible because it says, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He sent him on a mission to die for us. Who does that? God did. Who did that? Jesus did. At 33 years old, that's the prime of life. And he laid his life down on the cross, allowed harsh people to nail him to the cross. He took upon himself the sins of the world. He had never sinned. That's why when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's fascinating about that is in addition to the physical pain from the this, the, the whips, the scourging, and the piercing of the, of the thorns, and the nail scars on the piercing of his side, the, I, the worst pain would have been the, the pain of him, because sin, sin was poured out on him, 
the separation. Why have you forsaken me? He felt forsaken by God, who he had the most rich and wonderful fellowship with. And he was willing to take the consequence of our sin, which sin separates, and he took that on the cross. Boy, doesn't that make you love him? Doesn't that make you appreciate Jesus? Um, we want to start the, we ought to start praising him again and just praise him the rest of the night because just because of that, he's so worthy that he would do that for us. And I want more people to know about this because Jesus is so, he's so wonderful. And then he, he said that the Holy Spirit is another helper. And uh, I read this last week in the, the famous Amplified Bible. It talks about seven characteristics that define the Holy Spirit, the Greek word being parakletos or paraklete, uh, called alongside, someone called alongside to help. And um, he's our comforter. He's our counselor, helper, intercessor. He's an advocate, a strengthener, and a standby. So when we get a grasp on the multifaceted ministry of Jesus, of God the Father sending Jesus, and then Jesus dispatching the Holy Spirit on our generation, and that God never changed, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the Holy Spirit hasn't changed, then you and I are in a, an amazing situation, okay? So with that introduction, my goal is to show you different highlights and references to the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans. I just want to give you a side note that in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 41 times throughout those 28 chapters. And it is, the, really, they call it the Acts of the Apostles, but really what it is is the action of the Holy Spirit on the early church. And I just want to tell you some amazing things from Romans 8, because it's great, and I don't want you to hesitate, and I don't want you to be late. Thank you. Okay, now that's, that's what I was after. Now I can move on. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who can say, hallelujah? Who can go, whoa, thank you for that, Lord, that he no longer has an adverse sentence hanging over our head. Exoneration, forgiveness, covered, redeemed. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And when you're born of the Spirit, you get set free. He that the Son sets free is free indeed. And I heard a preacher say this, and I think it's wonderful. We are called to manifest Satan's defeat. And I'm a new creature preacher, and I just want to tell you, when you get saved, according to the Bible, the old things pass away, and all things become new. And it disparages the work of God when we consider anything less than that. God does want, he does not want, and he no longer wants the church body, the individual believers, Christians, to live below their entitlement that Jesus paid such a high price to give. Nor does he want the church to underestimate the value of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I didn't go away, I, could, I wouldn't send you another helper, but I'm going to send him to you, and he's going to guide you in all the truth. He's going to remind you of things he's going to take from Jesus and reveal to you he's going to empower you for service wow this is a good thing for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free has set you free from the law of sin and death one translation says it lifts us up out of the vicious circle of sin and death 
Jesus comes with his resurrection power by the Holy Spirit and causes something called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. There are laws that govern the universe. There's the law of gravity. There's the law of thrust and lift that can supersede gravity. There are two laws of physics. And when uh, Orville and Wilbur Wright, the first man flight and so forth, got into that situation where they, they, they studied the wings of birds and they noticed that in the way they're configured, the way God, the creator designed them, that they can actually get off the ground and they could go and soar and mount up. And the Bible says we even mount up on wings like eagles. And I think that's a prophetic indication of this vital truth. Gravity does hold you down. You, you travel on a big 747 Boeing, beautiful wide body jet, the thing's huge, weighs tons, it's gigantic. And yet you can fill it up with fuel and get competent pilots on the front end and they can move the gear and the equipment and propel off of the run, end of the runway and soar and mount up. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus supersedes the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is functioning in the world. It's everywhere. It's all over the place. But the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus lifts us up, sets us free. He that the sun sets free is free indeed. He set us free. And there's the law of the spirit. It's, uh, we ought to learn the, the, the law and the life and the patterns and walking in the spirit. It's, that's the next point. There's a law according to the spirit, the law of the spirit. Number two, there's the walk of the spirit. The walk of the spirit, it talks about walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. It says, do not walk according to the flesh in verse four, but according to the spirit. We walk one of two ways in life. Live in the flesh. You, the Bible says you sow to the flesh, you'll reap decay. We all know this. We reap corruption. You sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you reap life and peace, life everlasting. Can I hear a hallelujah? The idea that God invites us in this new birth and gives us the actual potential to walk in the spirit is marvelous. It's an invitation to walk in the spirit. Later on, it talks about mortifying the flesh by walking in the spirit. That's a really interesting thing, but I don't want to get ahead of myself because I want to just spend a couple of seconds here. Uh, the righteousness of the law is actually, it might be fulfilled in us who do not walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. So God is actually walking, wanting us to walk in the spirit. Galatians, it says, walk in the spirit and you're not under the law. Another place says, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the, de the deeds of the flesh. You could read the deeds of the flesh in Galatians, and there's so many of them, and they're all identified, and then, but also there, there's the fruit of the Spirit. The, when we walk in the Spirit, the walk is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And the fact is, when the Holy Spirit gets on the inside of us, He helps us to walk in the Spirit. We have a walk, a life. Another way to say walk is uh, the way we live. We're called to live no longer after the dictates of the flesh and the promptings of the flesh, but the, the influence of the Spirit. We can actually walk in the Spirit. And uh, we'll see amazing things accomplished as we understand the Holy Spirit is there helping our human spirit. 
Here, look at verse 5. It says here, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So the third point is there's a mindset of the Spirit. The mindset on the Spirit how many of you have ever heard of a mindset? We need to have a mindset. You can get a mindset. You get a depressive mindset. You can get a melancholy mindset. You can get a, a loss-based mindset where you've been hurt enough, traumatized enough, and your whole mindset is about when is the other shoe going to drop? When, when is, are you going to hurt me too? And it can, it can dictate our relationships in a disturbing and in an inferior way where it it, it makes us apprehensive rather than joyous and, and with confidence. And, but what happens sometimes is a mindset will come in the midst of all the sort of residuals that living brings, and resignation can come, and we can become guarded. And the mindset on the Spirit or the mindset of the Spirit keeps us in a place of hope and prevents us from getting stuck. It helps us to trust God, and it helps us to keep being buoyant instead of getting cynical, jaded, overly guarded. Sound familiar, any of this stuff? It's what the devil's using to try to stifle the body of Christ. He's already seized the world with, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, and they're in gross darkness, and it's pretty depressing. But I'm telling you, in Christ, there's a spiritual mindset. We can actually get our minds set on the things of the Spirit. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says, if you've then been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Set, set your affections on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When you're born of the Spirit, when I was born of the Spirit, my nature changed. I became a new creation. And God took my sin and he imparted his righteousness. It's a miracle. It, it, it would almost be heresy except that it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 that he who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And Isaiah prophesied in two places. He said, in righteousness you will be established, you will be far from oppression, and you will not fear. And the effect of righteousness will be peace and confidence forever. And in the book of Hebrews, it talks about a mindset of sin consciousness. But yet, and that even in the great, beautiful Jewish movement, when the priests would go up and offer up, the, up their, the, the scapegoat and the blood, and they were detailed with the book of Leviticus and all the law that Moses had presented, and they would fulfill those things. And, and on the occasions when they did it right, even when they did it right, it was only year by year, and it was only a coverage, brief coverage, and it could not cleanse people from the consciousness of sin. And yet in the book of Hebrews, the New Testament records that you can actually be free from sin consciousness. Now what that means is we get a spiritual mindset and in fact, coming to a meeting like this tonight gets us back to focusing on who he is, what his capabilities are, what his will is, what he's willing to do, what he has already done on the cross, what he's doing by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have volumes of scripture of what he's about to do in terms of the end times and the fulfillment of the remaining prophecies as yet that have not been fulfilled. We see the fulfillment. We see the escalation. We see the situations going on in the world. Man, it, it is great not to hesitate or to be late to go into Romans 8. See, now you're starting to catch on. 
So there's a law of the Spirit that lifts us up and sets us free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah for that. That's the Spirit. That's the law of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowered Jesus. He said, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to preach good news. Good news. Set the captives free to the poor and to the blind, to let the blind see and so forth. The favorable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God. Hallelujah. So then there's this walk in the Spirit. We can walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Have a mindset. It's amazing. This is why it's so important. Start your day and have a devotional. One of the ways I stay sharpened is I get up and start my day with seeking God and focusing on God because my mind can drift, turn on the TV, turn on the news, you're sunk. I do turn on the coffee pot, that does help. <laughs> but man, when I turn my attention toward the Lord and I spend a little bit of time seeking him, uh, recently one of my staff members, Matt, he was talking to me about something he had learned about pondering, or another word is meditation, and just take the time to think. Something simple. We were just having, we were in the middle of a bunch of business working with, with the decisions and having a work day. In the midst of that, though, he, he made this comment to me and it triggered something in me. So I actually took the time to think on an area of scripture in the book of Exodus that I had never really paid that much of a time or attention to. So I spent some time and attention on this particular verse inspired by what Matt had encouraged me on. And Stuff jumped off the page at me, stuff I had never seen before. I went, whoa, and it showed uh, this priority chronology that I had never seen. I went, wait a minute, and, and, and then I kept reading the whole rest of the chapter. I got, I've got goosebumps thinking about it, and it was just from getting a mindset on the things of the Spirit. God's Word is spirit and life. I mean, I, for example, I expect that when we have church services because, and that's what my my desire is when I give myself to the ministry of the word and prayer for you guys, I have outcome orientation. I, I'm a guy that expects results. I'm not in this just to go through the motions. I am believing God that as you hear the word, faith will be built up in your heart. Adoration and love will be intensified toward God. It'll contribute to your destiny. It'll, it'll fuel you. It'll equip you. It'll get you thinking differently than you thought before. I believe God is wanting to change mindsets. Hallelujah. And the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Woo. Mindset on the flesh is death. We know that. It, it's, it's so to the flesh you reap decay. We know that. Who can say, I know that. The mindset on the spirit, man, it'll put you over. And uh, people say, well, I don't want to be so heavenly minded that I'm of no earthly good. No, I, I understand that. I've seen irresponsibility in the church where people just kind of get mystical and get religious and they don't work hard and they don't show up on time for things and they're just kind of religious. And that, that's, I think, that's worthy of a rebuke. That's, that's not actually heavenly mindedness. That's escapism and avoidance and using it, cloaking it with religion. What, what I think happens when you get truly spiritually minded, boy, it brings a joy in your spirit. It brings a joy. It makes you supernaturally natural and naturally supernatural. Here's a good one. Number four, verse nine, the indwelling of the Spirit. When Reinhard Bonnke was here, he talked about the Holy Spirit. He said he is a person, not an it. 
He's always full on. We may have yielded to him a little better one week than the other, but he is always full on. Verse 9, it talks about, however, you are not in the flesh. flesh. If you're in the flesh, you can't please God. Then it says about the born-again life. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And I want to tell you, every believer has the Holy Spirit the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You're born of the Spirit. You're born from above, and the Holy Spirit comes into your life. He says, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So what's wonderful is when you and I are born again, the Spirit enters in and resides in us. In, and in fact, it says in 1 Corinthians that our body actually, in chapter 6, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are actually designed to walk in the Spirit. In fact, one scripture that's outlandish, it says, God no longer dwells in temples made with hands. And I've been reading after some rabbis, some Jewish writings in, uh, in, about the book of, of Psalms, and they talked about how, how can God, who is omnipresent and, 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 and so vast and powerful, choose to live inside the Holy of Holies or the Ark of the Covenant, you know, and, and in this confined place? That's what's fascinating is that that just is another indication of how great and big God is. God, who, can, who created the universe and is ever-present, can also live on the inside of you and me. Wow. Wow. And that's fantastic. And, he, and the Bible says God no longer dwells in temples made with hands. God lives inside human hearts. He lives on the inside of you and your spirit. It's so wonderful. You ought to rejoice and just say hallelujah because the indwelling of the Holy Spirit gives us that constant assurance that the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the intercessor, the advocate, the strengthener, and the standby is with us. Jesus said, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. He said in Hebrews 13 that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Again, you know, lyrics saying, help. She says, help. It's like, what can I do for you? You know, it's like, you know, I just want to do it. And uh, can I just tell you the Lord? The Bible says his ear is inclined to the prayer of the upright. Feeble as it may feel to you. Times of desperation. I've talked to my sisters in the Lord who've been frank and candid with me about postpartum depression or even that kind of disruption around menopause that we, we males don't fully grasp but yet we are admonished by Peter to learn how to live with our wives in an understanding way. So we guys, even though we don't experience that, are required to understand and endeavor to understand. And that's what I love about marriage is it forces you to think differently than you would have thought if you were just isolated. And that's what I love about the church. It forces us to think differently and interact differently I mean, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. He, he tells us husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Jesus loves the church he builds. He, it's his idea. He's jazzed by it. He's excited about it. There's, he said, let there be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. He wants there to be glory manifest in the body. And that's why he sent the Holy Spirit, man. That's why he gave us the law of the Spirit that lifts us up out of the vicious circle of sin and death. That's why he gave us the call to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the deeds of the flesh and actually walk in a new and living way? Beautiful. This is exciting. I mean, people are trying to come up with all kinds of hobbies and, you know, do all kinds of stuff. 
Visit every na national park in the country. I think that's a good idea. It's wonderful. Go to the half dome thing and climb it without a rope. I don't think that's a good idea. But there, you know, people are trying to do stuff. But I'm telling you, the most exciting thing in life is being connected with God the Father, His Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, having this word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path, and plugging in with the church. Woo! I'd rather be here than laying on the couch at home. This is interesting. Let's look at this one quickly. The quickening of the Spirit. The quickening. The quickening. Everybody say quickening. That's the King James, but I want to read this to you. The quickening of the Spirit is in verse 11. It's found in verse 11. It says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, which we found out He does, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. How many of you have ever read that verse? Isn't Romans great? Romans 8 great? It says in, in the King James, he'll quicken your mortal body. And we used to sing this song. It's that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Dwells in you. Sing it with me. Dwells in you. Since that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. We used to sing if that same spirit. And then I remember a pastor saying, wait a minute. Since that same spirit. So then we changed to, to since. Get the tenses right. Because if is vague and distant and elusive and may not be there, may or may not be there. But since that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he'll quicken your mortal body. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead quickens your mortal body, makes you alive. There's a lot to that. Because these mortal bodies are subject to Fatigue and tiredness, the necessity for nutrition, we can get dehydrated, we can get exhausted. You know, you, you can have enough bad information come on your life and get into a place where you just get, your joy gets flattened, you know, the fizz gets out of your soda, so to speak, right? But yet, the Holy Spirit doesn't, is not subject to all that kind of drainage. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. He's God, the, the Holy Spirit of God, and he's a person. And he never gets tired. God never slumbers nor sleeps. He doesn't grow weary or tired, it says in Isaiah 40. Those things, those attributes apply to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And since that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, dwells in you, since that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, dwells in you, then he will quicken your mortal body. Since that Spirit dwells in you, then he will quicken your mortal body, since that spirit. Remember the mindset on the spirit. This is actually my goal, to get you in Romans 8 and see these 13 points, references to the Holy Spirit. This kind of shows me one, another reason why Romans 8 is so buoyant and so lifting. You know, in Charles Finney's day, when he, and he became an attorney, and he was a great evangelist back in the amazing uh, revival of the East Coast years back, the law schools were smart enough to take the book of Romans and actually incorporate it in instructing uh, before the students of law would get, go get their bar exam. They actually studied Romans to show how someone argued a case. And it really argues a case about the power of the gospel, about how the world has gone so crazy Romans chapter 1 talks about how the world has traded the glory of God for the inferior glory of the image of man. They worship the creation rather than the creator, and there's darkness, 
And then it talks about all this provision, all this Jesus coming in and, and the contrast of what Adam failed in and then what Jesus came to restore. And then it goes into Romans 6 that, that how shall we continue in sin that grace might increase? It says in the end of 5 that we reign as kings in this life and where sin abound, grace does much more abound. But Paul then knowing people would try to find a loophole to live a, a looser life. He said, no, 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 you, you're not off the hook. We're dead to sin and we're alive to God. And then chapter 7 talks about what life is like without Jesus. And then, but thanks be to God, he always leads us in victory. How can I overcome all this weird stuff and win in the battles of life? Because of the indwelling spirit, the quickening, revitalizing, powerful Holy Spirit. Your mortal bodies have the Holy Spirit living in you. The Lazarus come forth. Ezekiel, stand up on your feet. Peter, get out there and walk on water. Man. That's here for us today. I love Malachi chapter 4. It says, For us the Son of Righteousness has arisen with healing in his wings, and we go forth and skip about like a calf from the stall. One of those guys that got healed in the early church days, the Bible described him as walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God. And, they, and the religious people say, Hey, what has happened here? And he goes, Man, gee, I got, it, it was by the power of the name of Jesus. And they were getting all upset. And they were like, well, whatever. And he was walking and leaping and praising God. I pray stuff happens to you as you read Romans 8 because it's great and don't hesitate and don't be late. That uh, you, it'll quicken you. It'll, it'll, it'll renew your mind. It'll help you. you that quickening spirit is, is, is so, if you just spend time on that, the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal body. He'll quicken your mortal body. He'll quicken your mortal body. I had such ongoing, reoccurring battle with uh, strep throat in my early Christian walk. And I came across these truths that it was actually part of Jesus' provision. Not only did he bear our sins, but he also bore our sickness. And, that, and, and that's in Psalm 103. He pardons all of your iniquities, heals all of your diseases, redeems your life from the pit. I mean, that's in Isaiah 53. He bore our sins and he carried our sicknesses and he carried our sorrows and that, that's a holistic thing. And you see that Jesus went about healing people that were oppressed by the devil. So sickness is oppression from the devil, and Jesus is the healer. And that by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter 2, 24, fantastic truths. Matthew chapter 8, the Bible is chock full of these amazing truths. And so one of the interpretations of the quickening of our mortal bodies is we could trust God to quicken. I like the word quicken. Verse 13 talks about something that is very intriguing. It says, For if we are living according to the flesh, we must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And this is, in fact, our calling. And in the King James Version, And if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify. Everybody say mortify. We'll get back to that in a minute. If you mortify the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, what is, what is mortify? What does that make you think of? A mortician. What does a mortician do? They deal with death. And this is telling us to mortify. In the New American Standard, it says, put to death the deeds of the flesh. Putting to death. Christians, by the Spirit, we actually can be strengthened with might and power by His Spirit in the inner man. We could actually walk in the Spirit and 
mortify the deeds of the flesh. I even, I even heard a Pentecostal preacher, he's, he was watching TV, and he's watching just some episodic TV, was, nothing I, particularly nasty or anything, but he was, this was years ago before it got real nasty, and he was just walking something, it was just carnal and just world, and he began to pray in tongues, he began to pray in the spirit, and he said that that helped him to mortify the, and, and I thought, and I do that when I watch the news, because the news is pretty toxic right now. So I want to mortify. My, my flesh would have a, and in fact, my flesh will have a, I, I, can I just tell you, this? just candid, my flesh has tendencies to be fleshly. No, really, I, I hate to break this to you, but, and I need my, I need, I want my spirit to supersede and dominate my, my mind and my body. And, if I, and, my, and my Bible teaches that if I sow to the Spirit, I actually stand a chance to lead a pretty strong and quality Christian life by the grace of God. It's a grace, but God has called us to implement this grace. The Bible says that we're to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. And the good news about that is self-control is part of the fruit of the recreated human spirit, power assisted and given to us, in fact, by the whole dwell, indwelling Holy Spirit. We can do this thing. Everybody say, I can do this thing. Say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's move on to the next thing. Look at verse 14 about the leading of the Spirit. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. These are the sons of God. Now that sounds a little bit flipped around in the New American Standard, but basically we can, and, and, and in fact are invited to, discern and understand and know the mind of the Lord and walk in the counsel of God. He's a counselor. Walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Walk in engagement with him and perceive things by the Holy Spirit. We can be led. And uh, being led by the Holy Spirit is significant because it takes our lives out of just arbitrary happenstance and gets us to a place where we could actually, as thinking Christians, know the Master's voice. It's famous in John chapter 10. My sheep know my voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. That's why we can trust God will keep us out of error and out of deception, out of the trickery of the devil, trickery of man, because the Holy Spirit guides us into all the truth. And so we have confidence that when a cultic thing comes along or a heresy or a winded doctrine that's inconsistent with the Bible, the whole counsel of God, the Holy Spirit is our teacher, and he's faithful to shore us up where we can be led and do the right thing, and also be led to the right place at the right time doing the right thing on the micro level. And that is cool. That is pretty, pretty sweet to spend time on this. I mean, there are books written about how to be led by the Holy Spirit, and you should read them and learn how to develop that inward witness and that understanding, that follow that still small voice and learn to listen. His Spirit is so good. Well, there's, in fact, more on that, but look at the spirit of adoption. It says, you have received not a spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption. And in my margin, it actually has a capital S. Holy Spirit is what causes us to be born again into the family of God. And a spirit of adoption is the opposite of rejection. It's the opposite of abandonment. It's the opposite of being ignored. The adoption is interesting because somebody really wants the person that's being adopted. Let that sink in. Life's harsh. Sometimes people never express empathy or love. Some, some of you in here have suffered great harm around this matter. 
But then you see Jesus come in where he wants you to be accepted in the beloved with a spirit of adoption. And it's the spirit of adoption. That's pretty awesome. We actually are assigned to have a, carry the adoption papers, get people to sign them. Sign up, man. I've had people walk up to me, hey, you want to sign a petition for blah, 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 blah. No. But I do want to get people to sign up to get their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You've not received the spirit of bondage leading again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Look at somebody and say, hey, I've been adopted. <laughs> Here's a good one. You ready? I'm almost done. His spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. So this is the witness of the spirit. His spirit bears witness with our spirit. Wow. Listen, our feelings are the language of our body. Our logic, intellect, those are the voicings of our mind. Our conscience is the voice of our spirit. And God's Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit. John talks about if your spirit condemns you and so forth, your heart condemns you, but God's greater than your heart. And God has designed us. Isn't it great to have a conscience? It activates when you get saved. We were hardened and callous, and then Jesus gives us a new heart. We're like, oh, we're ruined to sin. We, oh, God, I repent. God, I repent. Forgive me, Lord. Who's ever said that 50 zillion times? And thank God when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. We're actually even called the first fruits of the Spirit in verse 23. We're the first fruits of the Spirit. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and our life ought to be fruitful. I pray that this inspires you. I love this one. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps. He helps our infirmities, our weaknesses, it says. For we do not know how to pray or what to pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit helps us with groanings too deep for words. That's the second one, the intercession of the Spirit. The Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings too deep for words. This is a reference to the wonderful provision of praying in other tongues and just the mystery of how though your mind doesn't benefit from it, but your spirit gets so strengthened and God provides something so amazing for the church. Hallelujah. You want to pursue that. It's a wonderful provision and it's available for us today. And lastly, let's all stand up. It, it, It goes back to the mind of the spirit. The final point is in verse 27, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You guys, those are the references in Romans 8 about the Holy Spirit. And uh, they're pretty amazing, aren't they? I just highlighted them. I just scratched the surface on them. But if you guys, listen, dive in and ponder and meditate and park on some of these things, you get a lot of revelation out of it. You'll get some insights on this. It'll just renew your mind.